Um, so we're in Parashat Shmot. I just want to share that uh, a friend of mine, a friend of ours, uh, Justin Pines, his wife Tali, um, they donated uh, 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 to sponsor this um, uh, this year and um, and uh, uh, the children afterwards, etc. And this year, it's actually very meaningful. is in memory of Murray Pantira, who was the sole. Holocaust survivor of a family of nine from Krakow, who lost his entire family, who was saved by Oscar Schindler. He was one of Schindler's Jews when he was placed on Schindler's list. He had no money, he had no knowledge of English. He became a successful real estate developer who honored Schindler's deeds uh, and named over 25 streets in New Jersey after him. If you ever go to New Jersey and see an Oscar Schindler Street, it's because this fellow, right, who this year is in memory of, uh, named them. Um, and he supported, um, he supported uh, Holocaust awareness through Tzedakah and public speaking. He was a founding member of the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, and he was appointed to the council by both President Reagan and President Bush. And he was blessed to see his story told in the big screen through, through the movie, um, and to see his eldest great-granddaughter attend a Jewish day school. So this year is in his memory. Um, I think sometimes it behooves us just to make it a little more than just memory. Parashat Shemot. I'll tell you an unbelievable story. We didn't get to this story. We were up in the Golan. So you all know, October 6th, 1973, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, after a massive artillery bombardment the entire morning, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Syrian tanks crossed the border and began piling through the Golan towards the Israeli forces. There are not that many Israeli forces up there. You may remember there were 125 tanks all in all against thousands of Syrian tanks. Speaker Gringold, um, who gets up there at a certain point, realizes things are really bad. He actually got to the, if I'm getting the story straight, he got to the staging grounds down below. Um, I forget whether, uh, and um, it was a balagan. Nobody knew what was going on. There were some soldiers who were running down off the Golan and coming down and terrified, and they had just you know, seen what was going on there. And they were telling people like it's over. This experiment that we call the State of Israel is done. They already knew that hundreds and thousands of uh, Egyptian troops had crossed the, the Suez Canal. You know, people were saying the last one out of Ben Gurion, it was then called Lord, Air- Lord Airport, should you know, turn off the lights. And Tzvika uh, Gringold doesn't care. He grabs a few guys and they manage to get a car and they head up into the Golan. He gets to Nafech. Nafech was um, uh, sort of the main base up in the Golan Heights. Um, and remember that a lot of the soldiers had been released for Yom Kippur. So there were tanks up there, but there were no tank crews. So he grabs a few guys. You're a driver, you're a loader, you're a gunner, let's go. And he manages to fill two tanks. One of the tanks actually had a loader, wasn't really a loader. And they head out. They had no idea where they were going. They didn't know what the frequency was because they didn't have time to get this going. And they head up into the Golan. And very quickly, they run into Syrian tanks. And he begins, believe me, this is an hour story, but I'm going to tell it in two minutes. He understands how overwhelming the odds are. So he realizes that two tanks against massive Syrian forces can't do much. So he realizes that his mission is twofold. One is to hold the Syrian forces for as long as he can. Now, if two tanks are in one place, behind two positions, the Syrians are going to very quickly figure out there's two tanks there. You know, you're facing hundreds of tanks. They're just going to overwhelm you. So what he did was, he pops up in one place, and he begins to fire. 
and then he pulls back, and then he drives, and he pops up in another place. And all along Tzir Neft, all along the, 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 the tap line, he begins to attack Syrian forces. He chooses a code name. He doesn't have the right frequencies. He just chooses a code name. He finally founds the brigade, uh, the brigade radio frequency, and he calls himself Koch Tzvika. The, 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 Yitzchak ben Shoham, who was the machat, he was the brigade commander of the 188th, was convinced he was talking to a company of tanks. He had no idea there were just two tanks. And after the war, when they, you know, sort of got as far as Damascus, they captured some of the Syrian officers, they captured, uh, you know, paperwork, whatever. The Syrians were sure that there were three different battalions in the area. And they were trying to find these forces and face these forces. They had no idea there was just two tanks. So he would shoot up in one place. At one point, one of his tanks got shot out from underneath him. So he gets up on the other tank, throws off one of the loaders, and continues his force. At one point, the gunner gets terribly wounded. He pulls him out of his seat, and he sits down, and he starts to be a gunner. Every tank they could find, they shot at. It is estimated that over the course of that night and into the next morning, he destroyed approximately 20 tanks and many armored personnel carriers. He reloaded the beton of his tank, the shells that ran out, back and forth three times, right? He was wounded twice, but he didn't stop his fighting. And eventually, in the morning, when finally the Israeli forces began to push forward and turn things around, they, he finally allowed himself to be evacuated uh, to, to Nafek, and uh, doctors found him, and they managed to bell him, and he survived the war, right? There's actually a yeshuv up in the Golan that's named after him. And this is the famous story of Koch Tzvika, right? And they asked him after the war at some point, like, how did you do that? Like, how did you do that? Like, hundreds of tanks. You know what he said? One tank at a time. You're not in a tank battle with hundreds of tanks. Right now, you're in a tank battle with this tank. If that works out, now you're in a tank battle with this tank. How do you do that? What goes through your mind to allow you to have an experience like that for hours and hours and hours? To witness so much death and so much destruction. So I want you to put that story in the back of your head. And I want to share with you an idea. Okay? We're now in uh, Parshat Shemot. Parshat Shemot, very difficult Parsha. It's the transition um, of the Jewish people from the family of Yaakov to Am Yisrael. And it's not a wonderful transition. We don't transition in glory. We transition in heartbreak. Right? There's a new king, he doesn't know who Yosef is. That's a very difficult question. How could somebody not know Yosef? Can you imagine there's an American president who doesn't know who Abraham Lincoln is? That'd be ridiculous. He's in a debate for the presidency. Now, let's be honest. To run America, you don't need to know who Abraham Lincoln is. Okay, so you don't read your history book. But agree with me that if a president stood in a presidential debate and somebody asked him, what, did president, what would you think President Lincoln thought about your bill? And he answered, you know what, I'm an honest person. Who was, president, who was Abraham Lincoln? He'd be done. <laughs> they wouldn't win an election. Right? So, Asher lo yadat Yosef. And of course, this is Machlokas. Did he really not know Yosef? Or did he just, Ke'ilu. You know, yesterday he was my best friend, and today I don't know who he is. Story of the Jewish people. You know, we are Yosef. I don't know. American Jewish community. Congressmen and senators, APAC, they just started two PACs to be able to support elections, big discussion. The APAC is changing its strategy because everybody knows, you know, who, I don't know, pick the name, Steven Spielberg is. Everybody knows who 
Sheldon, Adelson is, because these are big names. Right? The Jews, we're in. Yosef was in, and then Yosef wasn't in. Okay. And so the next thing, and by the way, this is not our topic for tonight, but if you look carefully at the Pesukim and the Rashis of the beginning of Parshat Shemot, it is a recipe for anti-Semitism. It is how the Jewish people can become enslaved. It's exactly what happened in Germany. It's exactly what happened in Poland. It's exactly what happened. And the only question, which I don't have the answer to, but it is at least a question, is that happening in America today? That's a little scary. But that's not our discussion today. So finally, Moshe, everybody knows the story. He's uh, in a cradle. He's discovered by Bat Paro. He grows up in the palace. But he's not really a palace Jew. And he goes out, he goes to see. He knows he's a Jew, sees the pain of his brethren, goes out, saves the Jew from the Egyptians, stops a couple of Jews from arguing. That's a whole discussion about leadership. And the next thing you know, he's being accused. His life is in danger. He has to run. That's the story of the Jewish people all over again. One day he's all the way up here, and the next minute he's all the way down. Yosef, in his technicolor coat, life is grand, and then he's in a pit. Moshe Rabbeinu is a prince of Egypt. The next thing you know, he can't even tell anybody he's a Jew. He's on the run from the Savak, from, from the Gestapo, from, from the secret police of Egypt. The Egyptian empire runs the world. So when the daughters of Minyan find him, he's in Mitri. It's a whole discussion. And finally, after 40 years, he sees a burning bush. That's another discussion. And Hashem says, it's time to go home. And then he argues with the Kodesh Baruch for a whole week at the burning bush. And finally Hashem says, it's time to go home. And now we enter. I figured this week, let's do something at the end of the parasha. Rabbis never get to the end of the parasha. They always get their drush about the big topics. The beginning of the parasha. So nobody ever gets to the end. So this is the end of this parasha. Something really wrong happens here. Anybody remember the story? Moshe gets down, goes straight to Parah. Somehow... Paro grants him an audience. By the way, interesting question. Is it the same Paro? Is this his stepdad, grandfather? Does Paro know who he is? Do they remember the story of the prince who killed an Egyptian and ran away? Torah doesn't tell us. It's not germane to the story, but it is an interesting question. And what does Moshe say? Come on, what does Moshe say? Let my people go. Right? He says, Hashem says, What does Paro say? Right? What are you talking about? Bring me the God book. They look up, you know, the God of uh, the Assyrians, the God of the Armenians. I never heard of the God of the Hebrews. No, we don't know this one. Which is a crazy question, but okay. So what does Paro do? What does Paro do? Nothing in life ever stands still. I want you to remember this line. Nothing in life ever stands still. You're sitting here on a Thursday night. You've either moved forward in your learning, in your chesed, in your growth as a human being, or you've moved backwards. It doesn't stand still. Whether you can notice that, that's another question. The Jewish people in Egypt, they're in the pit of servitude. They think it can't get any, gets any worse. Hashem says, ah, I'll show you can get worse. So what does power do? Everybody knows the story. What does power do? <laughs> Pardon? They don't get the straw. Not only am I not going to send the people free, Right? Now you're going to go after, you're going to go out and you have to collect the straw for your bricks, which is impossible. You're still going to have to be at roll call. You're still going to be in the freezing winter in your striped pajamas. But now we're not giving you a ration. Go forage for food in the vegetable fields. That's a death sentence. How are they going to find straw? Right? 
Why aren't you filling your quarter of bricks? Because you're not giving us straw. We're not going to talk about that right now. We have no straw. We're going to make bricks. You guys are slacking off. End of the parsha. I'm not giving you straw, you'll make your bricks, or you'll die trying. So the Shatrim, these taskmasters, they see how difficult it is. They're the leaders of the Jewish people. By the way, the word Vayifga. Where do I find that? Where was the last place I saw that? Yaakov Avinu. Vayivga b'makom v'yalem sham. What does Rashi say there? Vayivga. Ain vayivga ela. And remember? Lashon tefillah. It's a power of tefillah. And the Gemara says that that's the place in Brachos that Yaakov does what? What does he do there? He compiles, composes Mariv. Creates the concept of 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 Mariv at night of the evening service. Very strange question. Why is that? Where? What is unique about Mariv? What is the difference about Mariv as opposed to Shachris and Mincha? The most obvious difference. It's Rishut. Why is it Rishut? Why is Mariv? Why is the evening service not an obligation, whereas Lit Palel in the morning and the afternoon is an obligation? Because there's no korban in the night. Eh. There's no time. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know, I know. The briskers, what are you going to do with them? I figured the briskers need their voice, so we'll bring them into the yeshiva, make them feel good. Right? Marev, according to some, is Hector, Chalav, and Vevarim, that's a chiyuv. You could easily tie Marev to a chiyuv. What is the deeper idea between Marev? What is Marev? Lagid baboker chazdecha. The morning's about chesed. It's when I can see things clearly. It's when I know Hashem loves us. Avara ba'avtanu, you love us so much. Where is the night? Lagid babroke chasdecha ve and munatcha balelot. At night after Shema we say emet ve Night is when it's dark. Night is when it's not so clear. Night is when it's hard for us to connect to Hashem, to feel, to ask Hashem. So night is reshut. Night is not so simple. Not so simple. Okay. Vayivga. So why is? So what is vayivga here? So if Vayivga is Lashon Tefillah, and if Tefillah, like Rav Kook says, is struggling with what we want, then the Shatrim are coming to Moshe Rabbeinu and say, what are we doing here? We thought you're coming to redeem us. You're not redeeming us. So what's the purpose of all this? To struggle with what was, where's the goal? What happened to the mission? Hashem should judge you. You destroyed us. We're, we're, we're destroyed. Look at this line. Look at this line. You want to know the biggest problem? You want to know the esod of all the things we struggle with amongst the nations of the world? Look at this. The Shafrim say, they're not saying, look what power is doing. They're not saying he's a Nazi. They're not saying he's a neo-Nazi. They're not saying he's a Cossack. They're saying, you made this happen. This is our fault. If we take our kippahs off, if we stop growing our beards, 
If we tuck our tzitzis in, they won't hate us as much. Do you understand this? We are we're almost enemies. Okay, now we get to the point. Now that we have the context, the last few psukim, Moshe, what do you do? You're Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem says, go down to Paro and tell him to let the people go. So you're Moshe and you do that. Now that's an unbelievable thing to do. You have to have a lot of emunah to walk into Adolf Hitler and say, we've got to stop this. It's unbelievable. And then it gets worse. So you're Moshe Rabbeinu. Something's wrong. Fayashav Moshe Hashem. So Moshe goes back to Hashem. Two ways to understand that pasuk. One is, like, how do you ever leave Hashem? What does that mean? It goes back to Hashem. So there are many different ways to understand this pasuk. Pshat is, if you see your people suffering, and the people know understand what's going on, that distances you from Hashem. That distances me. You can't be standing in Treblinka and not be distant from Hashem. So in order to, 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 to figure this out, I gotta get back to where I was. I gotta, I gotta reacquire my emunah. Okay. And he says to Hashem two things. He says, why did you make it bad for this people? I understand that they're suffering. You're making it worse. But what did you send me for? What's the point of this whole mission? If you're going to make it... If they're not getting out and it's going to be worse, then why did you send me? I spent a week arguing with you. You finally convinced me. I come down here. What's the point? Since I came down to do your will, to speak in your name to Paro, he only made it worse. You haven't saved your people. So what is the point of this whole story? By the way, this is such a difficult dialogue, right? The Christians think this is the end of the story. Perak Vav begins, right? The chapter numbers, hey, Vav, Zion, those are not created by the Jews, those are created by the Christians who created the printing press. Why we still use them is a very interesting question we're not going to talk about it right now, right? This would be a natural place to stop with this question. If you were making a movie, this is where you go to the commercial, right, on a TV show. But Judaism doesn't end the story here. Vayomer Hashem Moshe, Hashem says to Moshe, now you will see. That that I will do to Paro. I will send them forth with a mighty hand. And with the same mighty hand, he will expel the Jewish people. It's going to get so bad for him, we're going to expel the Jewish people. Okay. So Moshe says two things. He says, Why'd you make it bad for the Jewish people? And why'd you send me? If you're going to make it bad for the Jewish people, then what do you need me for? I thought I'm the vehicle to bring the Jewish people out. I don't need to be here. Okay. Hashem says, now you're going to see what I'm going to do. Now Rashi. Listen to what Rashi says. This is amazing. Rashi quotes the Gemara in Sanhedrin. You're questioning my midos, right? Rashi says, that which I'm going to do to Paro, you're going to see. But you're not going to see what I do to the seven Canaanite kings when I bring the Jewish people into the land of Israel. You're not going to get to Israel. You'll get to see Yitzhak Mitzrayim, but you're not going to get to Israel. 
So let's think about it. Rav Vigdor Nevitzel has a magnificent sicha. And if you really want to understand this topic, I urge you, study the sicha. It's magnificent to study over tonight or over Shabbos. Gemara says, Hashem is basically telling Moshe Rabbeinu, going to this Gemara, two things. He's saying, you're going to see Yitziat Mitzrayim, but you're not going to get to Israel. You're not going to merit to see the conquest of the land of Israel. With me so far? Okay. One of those things is good. One of those things is not good. Which one of them is good and which one is not good, obviously? Seeing Yitziat Mitzrayim, that's pretty good. I wish we could all see Yitziat Mitzrayim. Not seeing the conquest of Israel, bad. Agreed? Okay. So therefore, okay, if one of the things that Moshe is told is good, it seems like a reward, and one of them is not so good, it seems like a punishment, it must be, since Moshe said two things, that one of the things Moshe said is good, and one of the things Moshe said is not good. With me so far? Now Moshe says two things. He says, why'd you make it bad for the Jewish people? And what'd you send me for? Now, let's be obvious here, okay? Why'd you do bad to the Jewish people? And why'd you send me? Which of these things is good? That's what a leader should say, which is not good. Why'd you send me is good. Why'd you send me is good? What do you think? Why do you think it's bad? Louder. Okay. What about Like, why are you causing your people to suffer? You don't think that's good? You don't think a leader should feel that? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? No? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, like, harming the Jewish people is thinking about, like, the whole community of society itself. And saying, why don't you send me that? Focusing on only his personal Right? That seems like, that seems like, one second, that seems like, it seems like why did you do bad to the Jewish people? That's how the leader should feel. How could you cause the Jewish people to suffer? But what did you send me for? That's like selfish. Like if it's not going to be serious, I don't want to come. That's like lazy, it's selfish. So if that's what you think, don't come. That would seem to be, right? But now you look at Rashi, and you look at the Gemara, and it actually turns out, against all logic, that the Snowbell Rebbe is right. Because... See what the haircut will do? It all comes in through the ears now. It's good, right? You, you got a haircut. You just forgot you got a haircut. Your harta. Your harta. Your harta. If you hadn't gotten haircuts since the beginning, you'd be shimshan by now. Your harta al midotai. Says the Gemara in Sanhedrin and Dafkur You questioned my midos. You're thinking about what I do. Loki Avram, she'amarti lo ki vitzchaki karela chazara. Not like Avram. When I told Avram, 99 years old, right, that you're, you're going to have a son and through him you're going to populate the world, he didn't question my midot. I sent him off for an offering. He didn't say what he said, how high do you want me to jump? That's what Avram does. Now, right, so Rashi in the Gemara here, Right? The Gemara is clearly saying, And you can look at the Gemara if you want the broader context. Rashi is quoting the Gemara, and the Gemara is basically saying that Moshe Rabbeinu has no right to say, What do you know about how Hashem loves the world? It's not for us to question. 
We don't understand the Holocaust. We don't understand the Holocaust. But you have no right to ask, how could Hashem do this? That's what the Rashi says. Now, that's very difficult. But, Lama Zeshlachtani, why'd you send me? That's okay. So, we could have a whole sheer about why Lama Hareota Lama Zeh is okay and why Lama Zeshlachtani Right? Isn't that okay? You know, did Moshe really have a choice? Did he have a choice? Mishnah Perkeyova says in Paragimel, Hakolt Safui, Vearashut Netuna. Everything is known, but we have the choice what to do with it. So that's an interesting question. Did Moshe Rabbeinu have a choice? It says in the Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu is going to go down to Mitzrayim. If we believe the Torah comes from Hashem, that means Hashem already knows Moshe Rabbeinu is going to go down to Mitzrayim. He has no choice. What kind of a question is that? Lama Zeshlachtani. Because that's your destiny. By the way, one of the difficult questions of this, so Hashem comes to Moshe and says to Moshe, right? Lech red Mitzrayim. Go down to Mitzrayim. Shlach atami, go to Paro. Moshe starts to argue with him. You shouldn't send with me, you should send with Aram. What kind of a ridiculous dialogue is that? And according to Pshat in the Torah and Chazal, Moshe Rabbeinu argues with the Kosh Baruch Hu at the burning bush for a week. Now let's think about this for a minute. Putting aside how absurd it is to argue with the Kosh Baruch Hu, that means that the Jewish people are meant to be redeemed and Moshe Rabbeinu is going to go down and get the ball rolling. And it's going to take whatever it's going to take, the ten makot. And so the dialogue with Paro and Makatam and the whole journey gets delayed by a week because Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't think it's a good idea. So first of all, if I was God, which is kind of a funny thing to say, but okay, I'd be like, you know, we're going to get another guy because this guy, I mean, he's a loser. Like, what's going on here? For a whole week? Or a Baruch should say, listen, I'm trying to be nice. This is, what, what is this? Water bottle. Really? No, no, no. This is Moshe Rabbeinu. What's this? What's, what's this? This is Midian. What's this? It's Mitzrayim. You're a Kosh Baruch right? In the burning bush. That's it. What's this whole dialogue? How could Moshe Rabbeinu hold up the Gula? By the way, never mind. You're so worried about the Jewish people. How bad is Jewish people? Do you understand? They're throwing babies in the, in the Nile River. They're using baby skulls for bricks in the pyramids while you're pitting around with Akash Baruch as to whether you want to go? How could Moshe Rabbeinu do that? What does Lama Zeshlachtani even mean? What does it mean? And how could Moshe Rabbeinu say, Lama Hareota Lama Zesh? So Hashem says, a Jew cannot say, Lama Hareota Lama Zesh. Because everything is part of Hashem's plan. What does the Pasuk say in Yishayahu Nunhei? Anybody know when we read this? When do we fast? We fast when things are difficult. So we read in Yeshayahu, Just like the sky is beyond us, so the ways of Hashem are beyond us. And my thoughts from your thoughts. We can't understand the Kosh Baruch it's almost as though this whole journey, there's a subtext 
And the whole story of what's going on here, that we need to understand that we can't understand. And if you think you can understand, you're not meant to. And by the way, <coughs> what this would mean is that the consequence for, for, for thinking that you can understand the Kodesh Baruch Hu is that you don't get to see <coughs> the seven Canaanite kings vanquished. I'm going to leave you to think about that. What does one have to do with the other? We know in many different places in Chazal that Hashem always responds in midah keneged midah. Right? That, 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 that the consequence, the punishment, always fits the crime. So if Moshe is sort of on Moshe Rabbeinu's level, but if the, if, the, if the lesson that we all need to learn here is that even Moshe Rabbeinu can't question Hashem, that if the Jewish people are suffering, it's part of Hashem's plan, even though I don't understand it, that the result of that is, therefore, you don't get to see the Canaanite kings vanquished. Now, the Gemara doesn't say you don't get to see the Jewish people enter Eretz Israel, which, by the way, is a whole interesting discussion. The Sifte Chachamim points out the Pasuk in Bamidbar, where it's clear based on Rashi that Moshe Rabbeinu assumes that he's going to get into Eretz Israel. And yet, according to this Medrash, according to the Gemara, Moshe Rabbeinu knew already he wasn't going to get into Eretz Israel. So there's a whole Moshe Rabbeinu thought that he'll get to go into Eretz Israel, he just won't get to see the end of the story. And if you buy that, that he's going to get into Eretz Yisrael, he's just not going to see the conquest, he's going to see the end of the story, then the issue here is that you need to learn, you don't understand the end of the story, you don't get to see the end of the story. It's okay not to see the end of the story. Okay. But I'm fascinated by the second piece. Right? Lama Zeshlachtani. You know, my cousin Danny Hillman, who lost his son Benji in Lebanon. At the end of the year, maybe I'll take you up and I'll show you. We'll go up to the border. We'll see Maruna Ras. You'll understand. It's not often you can actually hear a story and then go see exactly where it happened in enemy territory. But you really can see it from Avivim. And a number of years he came here to speak to the boys. He's unfortunately not well. It doesn't work anymore. But And I told you before that the boys at the end of his presentation, he would open the floor and he would encourage them and they would start to ask him questions. Somebody asked him fascinating questions. Somebody asked him once, What's the dumbest question you get asked? What is the dumbest question you get asked? Want to take a guess? Dumbest question to ask somebody who's bereaved. They came. That would be dumb, but no. Right? Nobody had the guts to ask that question because that's really a dumb question. That's true. So That's so dumb nobody ever asked it, right? It's a good guess. So, Josh, I know I can count on you. So he said, so he said, I remember this. He said, they came from England in 1984. And Benji was, I believe, four years old. He was a little kid. They came from England. So people sometimes ask him, if you'd known what was going to be, would you have come? And I remember he was standing right here. And he said, what kind of a ridiculous question is that? He said, what parent in his right mind would go to Israel knowing his son would get murdered? Like, that's a ridiculous question. Now, I thought about that a lot, right? Because of course you wouldn't knowingly go to pain. You wouldn't know, normally go to loss. But on the other hand, means we don't understand. We don't understand how this could happen. And at least if you know that Hashem has a plan, there's a bigger picture that I can't understand. But what does Lama Zeshlachtani mean? So there's a Gemara. And the Gemara says, 
It's more in Psachim on Tafsamachay, the 65th folio of Psachim. Kidatanya, it's like a brysa. Rebbe Omer, Yudha Nasi says, E Efshala Olam below Bosem. It's impossible to have a world without perfume. Uvalo Bursi, and without the tanneries. Right? The Bosem, the perfumery is magnificent, smells wonderful. And the tanneries are disgusting. You're cutting up animal hides. It smells, it stinks, you can't even. Right, people who work in the tanneries, you couldn't go near them. Ashrei mi sho'omanuto bosem. Praiseworthy is he who gets to deal with the perfume, works in the perfumery. Va'oilo mi sho'omanuto bosem. And woe to him, right, who, who works in the tannery. So what does that Kamara really mean? It means there are lots of different things that are going to happen. Do you remember once I told you that in Parsha Kitetzit is a pasuk by the mitzvah of Ma'akeh. Right, when you build a, um, a, a banister on your roof, there's a mitzvah to build a banister on your roof. Why? Right? You're building a roof. It's dangerous. Somebody could be up there. You could fall. So it says, right, you know, when you build a house, you have to put a marker. That there shouldn't be blood on your house when a person falls. So the first one say, wait a second. The, the, the grammar's wrong. There shouldn't be blood on your house when the faller falls. I shouldn't say when the faller falls. There shouldn't be blood on your house. A person shouldn't fall. So you have to understand, if a person is meant to fall, he's going to fall. But he doesn't have to fall from your house. You're driving in a car. You're 16 years old. You just got a new license. And you're not mature enough to drive a car yet, but you don't know that. And you think it's fun to drive fast, and you're driving through the back streets of a small town, and you're flying 60 miles an hour down a street, and a kid steps out behind a car, and you don't see him, and you slam into him. Car meets child, car wins. And the rest of your life, you realize that because you were fooling around, you killed a kid. How do you live with that? Well, the truth is, it's not true. You didn't kill that kid. That child was always meant to die. How do I know? Because he died. I have no idea why he died. I don't know why a guy would ever... Why would Hashem ever take a child from the world? That's a whole other discussion. But that's not the question. If someone is meant to die, they're going to die. And if someone's not meant to die, they're not going to die. If you're not meant to die, you can run up in Lebanon under fire, in an ambush, and bullets can fly everywhere. You can walk away unscathed. You can sit in a pizzeria, a suicide bomber can walk in, blow himself up, kill 15 people, you walk out without a scratch. If Hashem doesn't want you to go, then you won't go. And if it's your day, you can be on a ladder. I have a neighbor, a very special person. His father was a Mr. Fixit. He climbed up on the roof, fell off the roof and died. If it's your time, it's your time. But it doesn't have to be your roof. What is Moshe Rabbeinu saying to Akash Baruch Moshe Rabbeinu says, listen, I know that Gula is coming. I know redemption is coming. And the redemption is going to come exactly, but exactly at the moment it's meant to come. It's not going to come a minute earlier, and it's not going to come a minute later, no matter what I do. What I'm doing is not to bring the redemption. That's what you're going to do. I'm just your vehicle. I get to be a vehicle to bring redemption. But if I don't bring the redemption, I know the redemption will come through somebody else. So what allows me to delay the redemption? Now, this is an unbelievable idea. Moshe Rabbeinu says, what is the final argument? 
He says, Shlach na asher tishlach. You should send, the person who should be sent to power, the person who should be the leader of the Jewish people, the person who should get all the glory, should be the person who's been with them in slavery for 40 years. The one you've been talking to all this time, Aaron. And if I come down and I'm the Goel, how's he going to feel? What is Hashem answers? Hashem gets upset with Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, you don't have to question my ways. Aaron is going to come to meet you. He's going to see you. And he's going to rejoice in his heart. Now, the only source that can ever say what a person will feel in his heart is a Kodesh Baruch So if Hashem says that Aaron is really happy in his heart, then Aaron's really happy in his heart. And because Hashem says that, because Hashem says, no, no, you don't understand. You're not going to cause pain to Aaron. Aaron is going to be so, Aaron is such an honor. Aaron is so a vehicle for Hashem's will. Aaron is so going to be happy that you come down. He so loves the Jewish people. He doesn't care who leads the Jewish people out. He just wants the redemption to come. You don't have to worry about hurting Aaron. And because now you don't have to worry about hurting Aaron, therefore Moshe Rabbeinu can go down. And over here at the end of Parashat Shemot, what does Moshe Rabbeinu say? Lama zeshlachtani. I can't question your ways in doing a gula. I can absolutely question whether I should be the vehicle for gula. If I'm going to cause pain to the Jewish people, then I have a right to say, I don't want to be the source of pain. If you decide you have to cause them pain, that's one thing. But it's my job in this world to attempt to be a vehicle for good. Now you have to understand this. Just because my job is to attempt to be a vehicle for good doesn't mean I know that that good's going to happen. There is no guarantee that because you do good, it will be good. That's on a Kodesh Baruch Our job is just to want the good. Our job is just to try to be the vehicle for good. What happens in the end, that's on a Kodesh Baruch You have to do the best you can do. You have to do everything you can do. You have to be sure that you've done everything you can so that the result is good. Once you've done all that, then you can put yourself in bigger hands. So you can't lie at the bottom of the hill, terrified. You have to know Hashem runs the world. But once you've run up the hill and you're doing everything you can do, then whether or not you walk off the hill is not on you anyway. That's on a Kosh Baruch right? The Gemara says, Sancheirov was sent by a Kosh Baruch Sancheirov was the general. He was a butcher. He was a murderer. He, he exiled the tribes. He scattered them amongst the nations. Bilbel Taulam. The Gemara says, well, that, that was, that's what Hashem wants. If that's what happened, that's what Hashem wants. Why is, why is Sancheirev considered a Russia? Because Sancheirev didn't have to be the vehicle. Sancheirev, because of his ratzar, because of his desires, because of who he was, became such an evil person that he could be the vehicle for doing such wickedness. Before we begin the goal, before we enter Parshat Ve'era, before we start the play, before we the, begin the process of getting out of Mitzrayim, these two ideas have to be clear. I have to know that Hashem runs the world. I have to know that I can't question that. It doesn't mean that I would ever tell a person you can't question that. That means that my goal is not to answer the questions. It's to get to the place where I know I don't question. But the second idea is, is the world better because I'm here? Am I a vehicle for good? Do not confuse this with meaning that because of that, it will be good. Because that's Hashem's plan. If I think that if I do good, it will always be good, that's going to destroy me. And it's not true. Because then the world is dependent on me, not on the Kodesh Baruch Hu. But Hashem puts us here, gives us free choice, 
so that we can attempt to be vehicles for good, not so that the good gets done. That's a very important idea. And that's how Parashat Shemot ends. That's, those are the final two ideas that allow us to begin the process of redemption. You know, sometimes you get stuck in life. You get stuck. You get stuck with your questions. You get stuck with, with your goals, with your vision. And you got to take a slowdown. Say to myself, number one, do I know that Hashem runs the world? Do I know that even when things are difficult, right, that Hashem runs the world? And do I know, do I go to sleep at night thinking that the world was better because I was here? It doesn't matter whether it actually is better. That's not Hashem. It just matters that I tried to make it better. And that's cool, let me try. I think that's, that's what this is all about, right? Moshe breaks the luchot because he doesn't want to be a vehicle for coming down and seeing destruction. He breaks the luchot. It's unbelievable. But if the Jewish people are meant to have luchot, tablets, then they'll have them. So that's a little bit of food for thought on the topic of uh, Vayra. Any questions?